What are you so afraid of? The neuroscience and psychology of rejection. Only here on the People Scientist Podcast. listening to The People Scientist, the podcast dedicated to helping us optimize our health with the latest scientific findings on neuroscience, physiology, and nutrition. I, your host, Dr. Stephanie Caligiuri, a nutritionist, physiologist, and neuroscientist, will be here with you every single week, bringing us information to ignite our thinking, to help us be one step closer to the healthiest we can be. Hello, my People Scientist Army, and welcome back to the People Scientist Podcast for episode 131, where I aim to arm us with some scientific evidence so that we can all become a little bit smarter and a little bit healthier with every new episode. How are you doing today? I hope that you're doing okay, and thank you for inviting me into your day. I hope that I can provide some useful and interesting information for you. So what am I going to talk about with you today? I've been intrigued by this notion surrounding the fear of rejection. How us being afraid of rejection prevents us from pursuing opportunities, or for asking for raises, or promotion, or other opportunities in our life. So what is the neuroscience behind us feeling rejected? What makes us more likely to fear this? How can we better cope with rejection so that we can lead happier, and more full lives. Let's get into that, shall we? But before we do, as I always do, let's start off with a foregone fact where I share a scientific finding from long ago. Published back in November of 1895, the US federal government had been experimenting with food rations for their soldiers. They wanted to provide the soldiers with a lightweight, easy to carry food item. So at Fort Logan, they tested out rations that consisted of coffee and soup that were condensed into small tablets. They were also provided bread that was crushed into flat cakes and bacon that was packed into a tin can. Now the soldiers marched and ate their food rations as ordered, but their training exercises were quickly stopped as more than half of the soldiers became ill before even half of the exercise was complete. Needless to say, the soldiers rejected these new food rations wholeheartedly, as was in the report to the War Department at Washington back in 1895. There was a lot of experimentation in regard to food rations for soldiers, and this one, unfortunately, was a failed experiment. Today, the food rations are more manageable than over 120 years ago, thank goodness. But can you imagine coffee condensed into a tablet? I'm assuming it was like instant coffee? But did they eat this coffee tablet, or did they mix this coffee tablet with water and drink it? I'm not really sure. It doesn't say in the document. But eating a coffee tablet is probably what made them feel sick and outright reject these new rations. That was back in 1895. Now, let's get into the core takeaways of today's topic on the neuroscience and psychology of rejection. Rejection is thought to result in social pain, 
and recruits brain regions involved in the pain network. Being sensitive to rejection is associated with symptoms of depression, low self-esteem, compulsive use of social media, and an anxious attachment style. When people are asked whether they regretted moments of rejection or missed opportunities, they were far more likely to regret missed opportunities. As a result, garnering confidence to go after what we want and realizing that rejection is a normal part of the process can be very empowering. Using neuroimaging studies, we can extrapolate that techniques such as affect labeling, decision-making, and goal planning can help us to gain confidence and become less sensitive to rejection. Now, let's get into those details. My interest in this topic of the psychology of rejection actually started about six years ago when I saw this TED Talk from Jiang Zhang. Maybe some of you have heard of his talk or watched it. He had titled his talk, What I Learned from 100 Days of Rejection, and I'm going to link the YouTube video in the description box so you can watch it later if you'd like. In his talk, he spoke of how his fear of rejection caused him to be stagnant in his career, frozen. He was afraid to speak up at work, afraid to ask for what he wanted, and his career suffered. His happiness lacked. So he decided to change that, and for 100 days, he was going to purposefully expose himself to situations that were likely to lead to rejection in order to get over his fear of it. So he talks about funny things that he had done, like he went up to strangers and asked, hey, can I have $100? He went to a fast food place and asked for a free burger refill. He said the first time and many times he asked for these silly things, that he was incredibly nervous, quite embarrassed and scared when people would reject him, almost felt like a child. Most times people would respond by chuckling and saying no. Sometimes they would ask why in response. Now, the first few times he tried this, he walked away quickly, quite embarrassed. But over time, he kind of got used to it. He got used to these scenarios and expecting the rejection. And when people would respond with no, why, this time instead of running, he would actually stay. And he would engage the person and he would try to explain himself. He was learning how to deal with the rejection after getting rejected the first few times. So the one time after the first few exercises that he had done. He went up to a house and he had a flower in his hand. He rang the doorbell and the person answered and he said to them, hey, can I plant this flower in your backyard? The homeowner, the guy, laughed and said no. Normally, Gia would have run from embarrassment, but this time he was trying to learn how to cope with rejection and he stayed and he asked the homeowner why. And the homeowner explained, well, because I have a dog and he digs up all of my plants. But Connie next door loves plants and you should go and ask her. So Gia went to Connie's place, rang the doorbell, and she was so incredibly happy and allowed him to plant the flower in her backyard. So you see, if Gia had done this usual response that he had to rejection, feeling embarrassed and quickly leaving the situation, he said that he would have assumed that the homeowner said no to him because the homeowner didn't like him, because the homeowner thought that he was weird. But because Gia decided to stay and ask the homeowner why, he had learned that it was none of those things. 
It wasn't personal. That is just because of some logical reason that his dog was going to dig up the flower. And in the end, it actually worked out that Gia got to plant the flower in someone else's backyard. Some of the other bigger exercises he had done? Well, one of Gia's big goals was that he always wanted to teach at a university. But he never had the opportunity. So he decided one day he was just going to go up to some professors in his field, knock on their door, and ask if he could teach their course. The first two professors said flat out no. The third one said yes. Through his 100 days of rejection, he realized that he could fulfill his dreams and his goals that he always wanted to do simply just by asking. And he hadn't asked before because he was afraid of rejection. But over time, he got used to it and realized that it was just a normal part of life. So before I get into the empirical science on rejection, let's take a moment. Let's reflect on this story that Gia has in his TED Talk. Let's ask ourselves, what is it that we truly want? Is there a goal of ours that we always wanted? A hobby we always wanted to pursue? A person that we always wanted to meet or become friends with? Have we wanted to start a podcast, take up a dance class, teach at a university? Whatever it might be, think about it. And the next question I have is, what is holding you back? What are you so scared of? And I actually love that line. I find it that it really empowers me. So much though that I actually have two shirts with that statement painted across the back saying, what are you so scared of? What are you so afraid of? Like really, truthfully, what am I afraid of? But that someone's going to say no? That we might fail the first few times? So what? We move on. Next opportunity. One of the examples I gave back in episode 128 on how to make lasting friendships as adults was that rejection in making new friends is very likely to happen. Like for example, at my workplace, I go up to people and I ask them if they want to join me for a coffee. I say, hey, I'm going to go grab a coffee in five minutes. Do you want to join me? Many times people say no because they're busy, they've got a meeting coming up, or they simply just don't want to. That's technically rejection. People are saying no to me when I ask them to join me for a coffee. Does that stop me from asking people in the future? No. Because if I did let it stop me, how sad that would be. Because I wouldn't be making very many new friends. We're not going to get very far in life if we are paralyzed by the fear of rejection. It is a normal part of life. And I think that once we can come to terms with that, how much happier we will be how many more opportunities we will have in life. So now, how about we get into the science of rejection? Cranes in the journal Psychiatry in 2017 wrote about how there is a correlation between our sensitivity to rejection, our social problem solving, and our likelihood to have symptoms of depression. So how did the scientists investigate this connection? Well, they recruited 180 participants and had them complete some very thorough exams to determine their rejection sensitivity, how they solve social problems among their peers, and their depressive symptoms. The scientists had noted that rejection sensitivity, so how sensitive we are, how easily influenced we are in a situation where we might be rejected, that was positively associated with symptoms of depression meaning that if someone ranked high as being sensitive to a situation where they're rejected, like they're easily embarrassed, they're sad, or they're angry from rejection, 
they also tended to rank higher for depressive symptoms. The scientists noted that scoring higher for personality traits such as being impulsive, careless, tending to approach problems with avoidance, these were also associated with symptoms of depression. I think the most interesting finding of this study is the scientists observed that if the participant ranked high on being sensitive to rejection, then they appeared to deal with social problems in an unhealthy way. Specifically, they had the tendency to take social problems very personally, as though it is often an attack on them. Do you remember the example I gave by Gia earlier in the episode? How when people rejected him and said no, his tendency was to believe that they said no because they didn't like him, they thought he was overstepping, or because he was acting weird. He took it personally. But after some time of being rejected day after day, he decided to stop running away and to ask the person why they said no. And he realized that it had nothing to do with him personally, that most often it was a logistics reason. So this clinical study here supports that. If we are sensitive to rejection, it is often because we take it very personally and we think that someone is saying no because of us, because they don't like us or for something specific about our personality. Whereas many times it's not the case. It's usually an extraneous reason or a logistics reason. Individuals in this study that ranked high for rejection sensitivity also tended to use the problem-solving style of avoidance, procrastination, passivity, and overly depending on others. So what can we take from this study? Well, if we find that we are very sensitive to rejection, it can have a negative impact on our mental well-being and mood. So just understanding that and appreciating that can be important and empowering. If we want to become less sensitive to rejection, then realizing that when someone says no to us, that it is not necessarily personal. It's not necessarily about us or something specific to us, but it could be for another reason. Sometimes appreciating that and trying not to take rejection personally can be quite helpful. Perhaps we can think about this in a personal situation, like in a romantic relationship way. Like if we were to go ask someone out and they said no, we might take it personally, thinking, oh, they don't like me, they're not attracted to me, whatever it may be. But it could be for another reason. It could be that they are not single or that they're busy, or they're not interested in dating someone. It could be for a plethora of reasons. And our default should not be to think that it's about us, that it's personal. And I think that that can be a healthier way of coping with it, realizing that a rejection could be for multiple reasons that have nothing to do with us. Allie and colleagues in the journal Telematics and Informatics in 2021 argued that compulsive social media use was associated with social anxiety and being sensitive to rejection as well. They argued that compulsive behaviors stem from negative feelings, being socially anxious, and having a low self-esteem. That sometimes in order for us to reduce the impact of these negative psychological states, that we may cope by seeking short-term gratification to improve our sense of self such as posting on social media, particularly if we can post edited photos of ourself or things that may not necessarily reflect reality, but things that people like to see and may artificially inflate our sense of self and make us feel good in the short term. But this may lead to the formation of repetitive habit patterns that impact us negatively in the long term. So in order to investigate this further in this study, they had recruited 402 university students 
and these students took in-depth surveys about their feelings of social anxiety and their social media use. The scientists noted that social anxiety and social media use were associated with having a fear of negative evaluation and a fear of rejection. More so that the mediating effect of fear of negative evaluation was transferred through the fear of rejection, which essentially established a link between social interaction anxiety and their compulsive social media use. Interestingly, in this study, the females had exhibited more social interaction anxiety and fear of negative evaluation and fear of rejection than men, which surprisingly actually led them to become more compulsive social media users. Males, on the other hand, though, seem to experience more fear of rejection. So what does this study tell us? Well, social media use may be a way that we try to cope with social anxiety and a fear of rejection. Because perhaps we will post material that we know and think that people will like, and it will give us a short-term, temporary feeling of belonging, temporarily suppressing that fear of rejection. However, in the long term, these fears may perpetuate the obsession of wanting to belong, looking for approval. So if we feel that we are using social media as a way to combat our fear of rejection, and it isn't working for us, then we might want to reframe how we use social media and truly what our goal of using social media may be. Like perhaps we want to use social media to instead learn, to share ideas, to make new friends, but social media should not be used to combat our fear of rejection and should not be used as a tool for acceptance. Now, how about social rejection in the context of romantic relationships? Joel and colleagues in 2019 in the Journal of Social and Personal Relationships talk about rejection in the context of romantic relationships. Now, deciding whether or not to pursue someone romantically often requires us to risk one of the two issues. One, pursuing someone when the interest is not reciprocated, resulting in rejection. Or two, us failing to pursue someone when interest is reciprocated, so resulting in a missed romantic opportunity. Now, in this study, the scientists examined how strongly people wish to avoid these two competing negative outcomes. What was intriguing was that participants were far more likely to be impacted by a missed opportunity, a what-if, as opposed to just a rejection. Now, when the study participants were asked to recall a regrettable dating experience, participants were more than three times as likely to recall a missed opportunity rather than a rejection. So they remember the missed opportunities. The missed opportunities impacted them emotionally more so. When presented with romantic pursuit dilemmas, the participants perceived missed opportunities to be more regrettable than the, reje than the rejection. So the take-home message of this study, we are likely to regret the actions that we did not take more than the actions we did take. A missed opportunity will likely hurt us more than a rejection. So we can take that step, ask for that opportunity, and if we get rejected, at least now we know. At least we tried, and we can be happy and content in that. We can also choose to learn from that experience, to improve our approach, to improve ourselves, and to try again. Now let's talk about the relationship between our fear of rejection and attachment styles because that is an interesting link. 
DeWall in the journal Scan in 2012 wrote of the two attachment styles that we may have. Now, the notion that people have a fundamental desire to gain acceptance and to avoid social rejection really forms the basis of attachment theory. Attachment theory was originally developed to study the bonding between mothers and babies back in 1969 by Balby, but later this was extended to explain adult relationships. Now, attachment theory suggests that people satisfy their need to belong through different means. For example, there is a style called anxious attachment. Now, anxious attachment is a style that is associated with craving acceptance and focusing on cues that signal possible rejection. Now, people who display a higher degree of anxious attachment styles are thought to hyperactivate the attachment system, that they become overly sensitive to signs of rejection or acceptance. They put a lot of focus on signs that the attachment bond is not as strong as they desire, and they also put a lot of focus on opportunities for social connection. They chronically seek to merge themselves with attachment figures while simultaneously fearing that their partner will reject them. Now, the other attachment style is avoidant attachment, and that is associated with discomfort with closeness and using avoidant strategies to regulate relationships like putting distance between yourself and someone else when you feel the slightest amount of rejection, or when you feel that there's a close bond forming for fear of eventual rejection, putting space in between. The avoidant attachment style tends to be a result of deactivating the attachment system, which is opposite to the anxious avoidance style, so that the individual becomes less sensitive to signs of rejection or acceptance. They are less comfortable getting close to others, while people often show greater levels of one attachment style or the other, it's also common for anxious and avoidant attachment styles to overlap within the same person. So those are the two common ones, anxious attachment style and avoidant attachment style. But the reality is most of us will fit into a third category, which is secure attachment. Now this one, by contrast, is a healthy form of attachment in which we can regulate our emotions, that we have confidence, we are content, we have effective communication skills, we can trust other people, we are able to seek emotional support when we need it, we have good self-esteem, that we are comfortable being by ourselves, that we are emotionally available, and we are able to and regularly have self-reflection and are capable of conflict resolution. And it is estimated that about two-thirds or 66% of us fit into this secure attachment style, and that the remaining one-third of us might lean toward the anxious or avoidant attachment style. Do you feel like you or someone you know might fit into one of these three attachment styles? Anxious, perhaps being characterized by wanting and desiring closeness. Avoidant, which is putting space in between someone that you feel like could potentially reject you. Or secure, which is a nice balance. So why do I bring up attachment styles? Because scientists believe that our attachment style is intrinsically linked to how we handle rejection. So in this study by DeWall and colleagues in the journal Scan in 2012, they used some brain imaging techniques to examine how attachment styles correlated to brain activity during a simulated experience of being socially excluded and rejected. So they recruited 25 young men and women. Now, while having their brain region activity scanned, the participants were told to play a ball-tossing game virtually with two other players online. 
and at a certain part of the game, the two players excluded the study participant. The participants actually did not know that this was part of the game. They didn't know that rejection was part of the study, and they did not know that exclusion was going to happen. Following the scan and this game, the participants reported their social distress resulting from this exclusion. So what did the scientists see in the brain imaging? Well, an anxious attachment style was related to heightened activity in the dorsal anterior cingulate cortex and the interior insula of the brain. Now, these are brain regions previously associated with rejection-related distress. In contrast, the avoidant attachment style related to less activity in these, re in these regions. Now, this is intriguing as Eisenberger published the first neuroimaging study of social rejection in a sample of 13 participants, showing that rejection led to increased activity in these same brain regions, the dorsal anterior cingulate cortex, the insula, as well as the right ventral prefrontal cortex. These results were interpreted as evidence that social rejection operates on the same pain matrix to produce social pain. So an anxious attachment style may feel more social pain with rejection, and these brain regions are recruited more powerfully versus individuals that tend to avoid these type of social interactions, as opposed to people that have more of that avoidant attachment style. That's quite intriguing, isn't it? So there's a neurobiological explanation to our feelings here. But why is it that this pain matrix within the brain is recruited more so in these individuals that have an anxious attachment style? Is it genetics? Are they conditioned to be more sensitive to rejection throughout their life? Is it a choice? These are all questions with debatable answers. But many of us in these disciplines of neuroscience and psychology would argue that it is likely a combination of all of these things, with conditioning throughout one's life likely as a main component. So what can we do with these findings? Well, these brain imaging studies have given us some brain regions to target. Back in episode 124, I talk about the neuroscience of self-confidence. Now, self-confidence seems to be an important predictor as to how sensitive we are to rejection. The better the confidence, the less sensitive we are to rejection. Now, brain imaging studies have identified certain regions as being important in self-esteem and self-evaluation, such as the medial prefrontal cortex, the amygdala, and the precunus of the brain. This gives us a target to enhance self-confidence and better handling of rejection if we battle with low self-esteem. For example, many times throughout this podcast and on my social media, I've talked about the technique of affect labeling, which is known to target these brain regions to help us gain control of our emotions. So let's apply this in today's context. For example, let's say that we are afraid to do something, we're afraid to ask for something, because we have a fear of being rejected. Let's identify what it is that is likely to happen. Let's think about the possible outcomes. Now let's ask, are those outcomes really that scary? This logical approach that affect labeling provides brings on board these prefrontal cortex critical thinking brain regions, which will inhibit our more emotional brain regions that control fear, like the amygdala. So this approach of affect labeling may help us to overcome our fear of rejection, to more so approach this situation with a critical thinking mind, as opposed to a fearful mind. 
Now, what else can target these brain regions that are involved in critical thinking and self-esteem? Well, for example, making decisions. Following up with that decision by making plans, by setting goals, and setting a strategic plan in order to go after those goals and achieving them. So if we find ourselves lacking self-esteem, feeling particularly sensitive to rejection, let's ask ourselves, what exactly are we feeling? What's the emotion? What exactly is making me feel this way? What do I think the possible outcomes are? And are they really that bad? Then let's plan some goals. Let's set some strategic plans in order to achieve those goals that are important to us. And let's go after them. And let's remember that rejection is just a normal part of the process. Let's not be surprised by it, and let's not be discouraged by it. So that is a wrap, my people, scientist army, the science of rejection. It is thought that rejection can lead to social pain and can induce negative feelings by recruiting portions of the dorsal anterior cingulate cortex and the anterior insula of our brain. If we have an anxious attachment style, we are even more likely to experience this social pain from rejection. Sensitivity to rejection is associated with symptoms of depression. Being sensitive to rejection appears to be more common in individuals that score lower for self-esteem, higher for impulsivity, carelessness, and dependence upon others. It's important for us to remember that rejection is a part of life. We are very likely to regret missed opportunities more so than being rejected itself. So let's not let the fear of rejection stop us from going after the things we want in life. Just like Jia Jiang had said in his TED Talk, simply asking might surprise us and result in some great opportunities. So thank you for tuning in to today's episode. If you want to support the podcast, you can do so via Venmo, Patreon, and the Buy Me a Coffee link in the description box to the show. Make sure to follow me on social media where I share tidbits of information related to each episode's topic. I also share many of the studies that I cite in each episode on my social media as well. Now I plan to take the rest of August off for a vacation, and I plan to bring you episode 132 after Labor Day on September 11th. I hope that you all have a wonderful rest of your summer. Thank you for tuning in, and I'm looking forward to meeting you all back here in September for episode 132. Bye for now. I am a scientist simply sharing scientific evidence. Some of the clinical interventions I discuss are not appropriate for everyone. Before making any changes to your diet or lifestyle, please do consult the advice of your physician or dietitian. My opinions expressed here do not necessarily reflect those of Mount Sinai Hospital and its affiliates.